0: From the book of 2nd Peter chapter 1 verses 3 through 11 His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. There will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you. you may be seated.
1: Let's pray. Father, there are great. Needs in the lives of your people today. And we ask that you would help us to hear what you are saying so that those needs could be met. And God, if there be anybody that hasn't yet trusted Jesus to save them from their sins, God, the greatest need that they have is for your spirit to awaken them and give them life so that they might confess their sins, repent of them, and turn to Jesus in faith. So we ask that your Spirit would help the saved and the unsaved today and that we would know that the Savior, who we have, is more than sufficient for whatever need we may have today. Help us, Holy Spirit, to understand, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know... I don't know if I've been more affected by a week of studying than this week. And that's a big statement. Anybody collect Pokemon cards? (laughs) (laughs) Back in the day, when Pokemon was new and fresh, um... Mewtwo and that was just like the one that was the one everybody was looking for and we had a giveaway at the theater we were giving away individual cards individually wrapped cards for the Pokemon movie Um, and there were some Mewtwos interspersed in these freebies and I had a a guy that worked for me that tried to go through them I'm like you can't do that man That's, that's that's not okay and we, we didn't have any in our, in our batch, uh, just so you know. Um, but there were people who would open up that pack, and it was, you too. Like, free, here, it's yours, you got it. You've got the card of all cards. And if you're going, what is Pokemon? Just trust me, it was something that was important to a lot of people. And this card was it. This card was the one. And a few people got it. I got a jiggly puff and I was awfully happy myself. But it wasn't the one. It wasn't the the one for me. I say all that to say, you're like, what in the world? Man, I feel like this is it. I really feel like, and I hate to say that because I think these two verses It just seems to me it has seemed to me through studying them like this is a key to doors I've never been able to open before This is an aha moment this is this is the one type of thing And I don't know if it'll communicate that way to you but I'm telling you what <laughs> We've got a lot of work to do today and I think it is very good work. And let me tell you what from the outset. Do not, do not, believer, follower of Jesus, do not take what I'm about to say through these eight pages of sermon notes and use it to condemn yourself. Don't do it. Don't leave here today thinking, well, that I'm not like that so it doesn't apply to me so I'm bad or I'm wrong or I don't understand. Don't do that. There is freedom in what we're about to study and look at. There is joy. There are levels and levels and levels of amazing truths in these two little verses. And I hope... And pray earnestly, passionately, that we will leave here today very encouraged. Not discouraged, not condemned. So, verse 3. "...His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence." Who is sufficient for these things? It ain't me. Alright, so so looking back into half of last week's message that, that Steve mentioned there, we saw the introduction to this letter, 2 Peter. And we saw that the letter was from Simeon Peter who introduced himself as a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. And he also said that he was writing this letter to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with Him, His. Whether that's the Jews, whether that's the apostles, whether it was the people in Jerusalem, we don't know. But he said these readers have a faith that is of equal standing. Let's say with every other believer. And that faith came by the righteousness of Christ Himself. You are saved no other way than being given the gift of Jesus' righteousness. And then he prayed that grace and peace would be multiplied to them in the knowledge of Jesus our Lord. Now that intro ties directly in with what we're going to look at today. And while we won't get anywhere near through those nine verses that Will read this one, we're just going to focus on Two. Our focus will be on verses 3 and 4 today, and I'm telling you, <laughs> this is atom bomb stuff. And, and you're saying, you're overselling this. I don't think I can. I don't think I can overstate it. I don't think I can oversell it. Not all things. Not all, right. <laughs> all things. What what does all mean? All means all. We'll get to that in a second. I have laughed to myself as I've prepared this message because I've used these verses so many times in application points over the years to help drive points home, but I've never really gotten into the guts of them to really fully interpret them. And we will, Lord willing, today, unless Jesus comes back or I fall over uh, before the end of the message. So, the first word of the passage in verse 3 is His. Contextually, that His is going to flow all the way through these two verses and be referring to the same He, the same His, the same Him the whole time. And it actually refers back to the end of verse 2, which says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So as verse 2 ends, we see God and Jesus Christ our Lord. Then verse 3 says His. So who does that refer to? Well, is it God? Is it Jesus our Lord? Uh, Is there a difference? God, Jesus, Jesus was God in the flesh. Jesus is God the Son. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. One God, three persons. And ultimately, I would just say, I don't know. But I think it's safe to say he, him, his will refer to God. Whether that's God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son, I don't think it's that important. Okay, It's God. His refers to God. But actually, the Greek text doesn't begin with his. It begins, oddly enough, with hos, not h-i-s, but h-o-s. That's a Greek pun, and y'all didn't get it. I didn't either. It took me a long time. Um, not his, hos. Hos, <laughs> hos, westerns, right? Hos. But in Greek, the little article hos, h-o-s, means as. Just think of it as saying, as his, okay? As his divine power has granted to us. And it's going to connect with verse 5 when we get there next week. So it's a little bit awkward reading here when you're not reading the whole context of the passage. But verse 3 starts out with, as his. And verse 5, when we get into it next week, starts out with, for this reason. As his, for this reason. So today's passage... We'll set up next week's message to be a because to this passage. Keep that in mind as it's very important and we'll bring it up next week too. You're like, what does that mean? Just don't sweat it. The as is there to help set up the because next week. So I'll bring it up again next week. Lord. But for now, let's get back to just focusing on His, which was referring to God. What is His? What's He doing here? Well, Peter says... That his divine power, God's divine power, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. <laughs> That's where you say, Wow! You don't have to do You can't do this. What a statement. Let me read it with God in place of his. Okay? God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now is that amazing? It is amazing. I mean, wow! And before we dive in here, I want to read that again, asking this question. What if it's true? I don't mean like, what if God isn't pulling our leg here? But rather, what are the implications for your life as a Christian if this is true? What if God's divine power has granted to you, to us, all things that pertain to life and godliness? What if? How would your life be different if you lived in light of this being true? And again, don't feel condemned. I'm not trying to condemn you. Does does this truth change anything tangibly? And again, not to be accusatory, not to be facetious. I'm really just wanting to evaluate, and I want you to evaluate because it has been my personal experience that this period of life between being born again and living in my glorified body in the future, this in between time, is pretty frustrating. It's pretty confusing. And more often than not, it's pretty sinful. And I struggle with my role, my response, my responsibility in all of this sanctification thing. Did Jesus save us in the past and prepare eternity for us in the future and just leave us here in the present to fill in the in-between time as best way we can? Did Jesus just drive up one day and say, get in, loser, we're going to heaven? Okay, there I'm being a little facetious. (laughs) But listen, if God really did, by His divine power, grant us all things that pertain not to eternity in the future, but all things that pertain to life and godliness... So then what? And again, some of this will be looked at more practically in next week's message. But for today, let's really look at what we have in front of us. So, as God has done this. Again, that's as is in there. You just don't see it in the ESV. How has He done it? By His divine power. Now that phrase, His divine power, is the Greek altos, theos, hodunamis. Thanks for that. So His is pretty easy. It's pretty straightforward. Theos is the word used to describe something of or from God. We get our word deity from it. Theos, theology, deity. And then power, dunamis, means in inherent power, power residing in a thing by virtue of its nature, or that which a person or thing exerts and puts forth. So out of God's very being comes the God power that is being discussed here by His divine power, God's divine power, that is a result of Him being God, that's what's being discussed here. God, by virtue of being God and having all the power, omnipotence, all the power that would, that would be associated with that godness, has done something by that very power. And what has God done with and through this God power that belongs to Him alone? He has granted to us. Okay, now remember, this is God acting out of His God power. And in that power, in His omnipotence, in His power, He has granted to us. Has granted is one Greek word, and it means to give, present, or bestow. And here, this may not tickle your fancy, but it's important. And the verb is a perfect tense in a passive voice. Let me explain what that means. That means that it is done to someone. That's passive. God does it to us, for us. So we're the passive person in in the equation. We receive what He has given. And He did it in the past. And the results and, and what follows it is for all eternity future. Continuing effects for the rest of time. Now I don't want to sound condescending in giving that definition. I just want to make sure that we understand what has happened, who did it, who received it, and when and how it affects things. God has given, bestowed upon us in the past, and it is to continue in effect all through the future. And we'll get to what He gave in a minute or two. But here, in what we've seen so far, God has in His divine power bestowed upon us in the past with continuing effects all through the future. He's done something. And the us is His people, the church, those redeemed by and loved by God Himself. By His very power, He has given us something in the past that will be ours and affect us for all the future. And what is it that He has given us? All things that pertain to life and godliness. Let that sink in for a second again. God, in and by his God power has given to his people for all time all things that pertain to their life and their godliness and I I can't get over this all things is just the Greek word PAS POS and it can be translated as all, all things, all men, whatsoever everything, whosoever, any, everyone and on and on and on And here in our passage, it means exactly what it says. It means all things. All, period, things, period. And that phrase is placed in the place of greatest emphasis in the sentence. Greek is a very precise language. God was very smart to preserve the New Testament for us in Greek because we can determine so much of what it says and what it means just by the sentence structure. And this, all things, is placed in the place of greatest emphasis in the sentence. Herb Hodges used to say that when this type of emphasis is used, it's like the Holy Spirit is shouting off the page. His divine power has granted to us all things. You're like, stop yelling. I probably won't. because the Holy Spirit is shouting it by the sentence structure. Yes, the Holy Spirit cares about sentence structure. I won't get into LOLs and TBWs and whatever. The point is that this is meant to be loud and clear. All things means emphatically all things. It cannot be overstated or misunderstood to mean anything less than literally all things. There's no yeah buts here. But this isn't just all things. It's a specific all things. It's all things that pertain to life and godliness. So these all things fall into a category. It's like saying that guy knew everything there was to know about Pez dispensers. If you don't know what Pez is, look it up. All things about something. And these all things that God has granted to us are pertaining to regarding about life and godliness. But that's a pretty big all things, right? God exercised his God power to give to his people all things that relate to life and godliness so that for their forever futures, those all things would affect and benefit them for life and godliness. All things. God did that for us. So let's look at life and godliness. What does it mean to have received from God's very God power everything pertaining to life and godliness? It means that God has given us all we need in order to live and everything we need to honor God with that life. Life is living, right? And godliness is that which enables us to both worship and obey God. That's godliness. You redeemed humans want to live? Well, you've got all you need for that, God says. You saved folk, want to honor me and be like me in that life? Well, guess what? You've got all you need for that too. All things for those things. So if you're going to live and please God, God made it possible for His people to do that by equipping and outfitting them with everything that they need to do that with. There is no missing 10 millimeter socket. Some of y'all get that. (laughs) shoot, I've got everything but this. There's no but. There's no everything but. It's everything. You're not going to dig through the tools and say, well, I can't find that. It's not in there. It's in there. There's no, oh, I wish I could, but I don't have what I need to do it. I'd like to make a sandwich, but I don't have any bread. There's nothing, nothing, Nothing that we could possibly need that we don't possess. My goodness, what a statement. For life and godliness. Now that's a pretty big deal. This is the in-between that we so often struggle with, right? We trust that God saved us and we trust we will be saved when it all ends, but we have so little confidence on how to handle it all right now. That's exactly what Peter's pointing to here. Right here, right now, we have all we need in order to live and everything we need to be godly in that life. Let that sink in. Let that sink in spirit deep. You, Christian, whether you're a five-year-old Christian, a 95-year-old Christian, or anything in between or past that, you have been given... Every single thing that you need in order to live and be godly in that life. You lack nothing. And I'm not beating you up. Don't, uh, no. Look up and say, Thank you, Lord. Look past your experience and your emotions and say, Thank you, Jesus. You've been given everything. You lack nothing. And God did that when He saved you. When you were born again, listen church, you got the total package. He gave it to you freely when He lavished His love and grace upon you by joining you with Christ, placing you in Christ, and moving into your life through the person of the Holy Spirit. You got all of Him. No need for a second blessing. No need for a fresh anointing. No need for anything, anything else. No need or way to earn more than what He has given us freely. When you were born again, it was instantaneous completeness. All things, everything. So why don't we experience that? Why do we not see the truth of this in our lives? Well, Peter gives us a pretty good clue when he finishes this verse by saying that all of this comes, listen, through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. All this that God has done for us, all this that God enables us to live and worship and obey Him is found where? Where do we find all things? Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. God has done it, and it is all realized and understood and so applied as we know Him. Through the knowledge of Him. And I know that the knee-jerk reaction that I've heard so many times in churches, I don't need more knowledge. Be careful. Be careful. We have so much information at our fingertips, right? In our day and time. And I'm afraid that that lulls us into thinking that we know everything. But what if the information we have or that we're accessing isn't the knowledge that we need? Because we busy ourselves with a lot of things. But is it the knowledge of Him? How much of your day is spent in an effort to, Holy Spirit empowered, to know God? Most of us are promoting ourselves on social media somewhere. Taking pictures of ourselves and saying, look at me. Look at my perfect family. Is that seeking to know Him? Not being yet. It feels pretty good I We're doing pretty bad. We think we've got all the information that we need and it's it's available but I'm afraid we're not accessing it. That's what I'm afraid of. You do need more knowledge. Not information, you need knowledge. And there's a difference. Again, know what Peter's saying here. It's knowledge of him, not Peter but God. Knowledge of who God is. What God has done and what God is like and what God likes and what God has said and what God has commanded and what God has provided. You sure you don't need more of that knowledge? Because I think you do. And I think I do too. And the word here for knowledge is epignosis. Two words for knowledge in Greek. If you take the E-P-I off of epignosis, you've got gnosis, GNO, S-I-S. And that word gnosis is a Greek word for knowing something. It can even mean that you know something well. But if you add epi to it, E-P-I-G-N-O-S-I-S, then it means to know something precisely and correctly and experientially. It's not that they mean different things. It's that the epi adds a layer that isn't there without it. You all Gnosis, those curled up pepperonis. I, epignosis, those curled up pepperonis. You're like, that's a thing? Okay, great. I'm like, no, no, let me tell you about the curled up pepperonis. We have
0: fellowship.
1: We have fellowship, one with another.
0: <laughs>
1: and I do think we know a lot about God. I've talked to all of y'all, and you know a lot about God. But how much have we fully experienced Him in our lives for who He really is? And we need both gnosis and epignosis. And it's that epignosis that helps us to truly know the all that He has done and given to us and experience in its fullness. We have to truly, genuinely know Him. We saw it last week, but it bears repeating. Jesus said this in John 17, 3. And this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. And as Peter has shown us today, we all have need for that. And we need to know it in order to show it. We need to know Him in order to show Him. And so it's through the knowledge of Him. And note what Him did (laughs) to make all of this possible. Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. (laughs) Peter knows and wants his readers to know that it was God who made all of this possible in the first place. Yes, He gave us all we need. Yeah. And yes, if He hadn't... And yes, there is knowledge that we need in order to live that out. But none of it would even be a possibility if he hadn't called us in the first place. And that word called is a monstrous theological term. It is the Greek word kaleo. And it means to summon, and here you go, to authoritatively communicate a demand for the presence or participation of. And the word for church in the New Testament literally means the called out ones. At the very beginning of your salvation, regardless of who you are or where you're at in this process, at the beginning, God authoritatively demanded that you come out of the world into His presence. He did not stand at the door and knock and hope that you'd let Him in. You're like, but that's in the Bible. That's not what it means in that place. That's not an evangelistic verse. That's a wake up church. Jesus is outside. What's the matter with you? Verse. In Revelation three twenty. Jesus did not stand at the door and knock and man, I hope Jason comes to the door. I really want I really want him. He's he's really cool. I got some curled up pepperonis for him. (laughs) It's not what happened. He authoritatively demanded that you come out of the world into his presence. He demanded it. And He also made it possible by giving you life that you did not have before He demanded it. With the demand, He sent the means for us to obey the demand. And that's very important in what we're talking about today. And that demand was that we come into and conform to His own glory and excellence. And we need to breathe that in too. He demanded that we be with Him and that we be like Him. He called us to His own glory and excellence. Glory is a right comprehension of something or someone, a true understanding of all that, in this case, God really is. He demanded that we see and know that glory and His excellence, His own excellence. He called us out of worldly mediocrity into His own excellence. And again, that we both know that excellence and show that in and through our lives. He did that! And we're the recipients of that call, of that demand. And He enabled us to honor that demand and then He enables us to know and show His glory and His excellence. And that's really, really, really good news. Now my question here is, what do we need for life and godliness? What do we need to know and show to make that glory and that excellence present in our lives? And that's quite a couple of questions. If God, by His divine power, has given us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness, and if He has demanded that we know and show His glory and His excellence, well then what has He given us? Verse 4. By which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them... Okay, we Mine changed, but your state. Good. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Great. day. So, verse 4 starts with the phrase, by which he has granted to us. Now, what is this by which that he's referring to? Well, it would seem that it ties to his glory and excellence, which ended verse 3. So by his own glory and excellence, he has granted us. Again, the emphasis is on God doing this. And the glory and the excellence only serve to amplify the extent to which he has done what this is saying that he has done. So by his own glory and excellence, he has granted to us, he has given to us from his own hand what? He has given to us his precious and very great promises. His divine power through the knowledge of Him by His own glory and excellence have granted to us. Which means He has officially bestowed upon us, listen, His precious and very great promises. God is a promise maker. And thankfully, He's also a promise keeper. All through the Bible, and I mean all through the Bible. God makes promises, He makes covenants, He makes vows, and He makes it clear that He is going to keep them all to perfection. And Peter gives a couple of adjectives to help describe these promises. Precious and very great promises. These adjectives show the value and the quantity of these promises. They are precious. They are of great price and highly esteemed. They are very great. That means there's tons of them. Depends on what you read, what you study. Some people say between 7,000 and 8,000 of them in the Bible. Very great. Mucho. Megasphobos. Megas. It's a lot. How many of them do you know? He said that he would. Promises to do and be what we need in order to do and be who he wants us to do and be. So that, Peter says, so that through them, through these precious and very great promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature. Now, listen, there was a lot of uh, worldly teaching at this time that men could become gods okay that there was a a process you could go through and you could become better and better and better and better till you're pretty much like a god that was going on in the roman world at peter's time and peter's kind of playing on that and he's saying no you can't become god but god can work in and through you you may become partakers of the divine nature Through these precious and great promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature. Listen, the only access you have into becoming partakers of the divine nature, and we'll get to that in just a second, the only access is through God's precious and very great promises. And so these promises do provide access for us to be partakers. Partakers is the word koinonis, And it means someone who has or gives or receives a part or a share in something. The main word for fellowship in New Testament Greek is koinonia. You've probably heard that before. Think that way. We became partakers. We become partakers. We receive a share in something or have fellowship with someone, namely God and His nature. Because what we become partakers in is the divine nature. His divine nature. The very nature of God Himself. Partakers in, having received a share of, in fellowship with God Himself. The divine nature. Like, You're know, I, I don't know, man. I'm from Helen. I don't know that. Really, you know so God Himself has demanded... That we be called out of the world into fellowship with Him that we might know Him and show Him to the world by His very plan and His very power. You know, it's almost like it's all of God. And we get to participate with and by His very doing. And listen, that's it exactly. Your salvation... Your glorification and your sanctification. It's almost like it's all of God and we get to participate with Him in all of this. That's exactly what it is. We become partakers of the divine nature by the very plan and the very power of God. And not just at the new birth, not just in eternity future, but right now. His very doing. Right now. In this life, at this moment, for all the total length of the justification, glorification, and sanctification processes. And this is so vital for this message, but also to set up next week's message too, which is going to call us to do something. We can't do unless we know what has been done and who it is that has done it and who it is that's really doing it. And we saw that the access we have into all of this is in and through His precious and great promises. All that being said, it's all in, through, for, and about God Himself that this divine nature is ours. We are the recipients and the beneficiaries. He is the giver and the benefactor. We receive the grace. He initiates, propagates, and brings it all to completion. Jesus made this clear when He said in John fifteen four to 5 listen, abide in Me. And I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And that's good news. It's not that we're called to do or be nothing. It's just that we can't do or be apart from Him. Apart from His calling, His enabling, His promises, His grace, His power. We become partakers of the divine nature. We are the recipients of the very life of God Himself to show Him to be glorious and wonderful. To the praise of His glorious grace. Not so that we can bite our lip and do our best and then be able to sing in Sinatra-like swagger, I did it my way. (laughs) May it never be. It's also not so that we can partake in the divine nature and try to divert attention to ourselves like our anointing is special or our gifts are special or that you're supposed to be impressed with me in any way. No! By Him, through Him, to Him, for Him. And yes, we do benefit greatly from it, no doubt, but it is all by His grace and for His glory. And what does it look like? The end of the verse shows us. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Oh, man. God has given us His very nature, His very power for what purpose? So that we might be seen as having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And it's like just like the hits just keep coming in this passage. This statement is utterly mind blowing. I want to read the full context. I'm going to read verses 3 and 4 again to get the context for what is going on here at the end of it. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So the us that runs through these two verses is us. (laughs) It's believers, those whom God has called and given these great gifts and promises to. Well, us, we, are called to be partakers of the divine nature. And the reason we can do that, besides the precious and very great promises and God's very nature and power, is that, listen, we have escaped the corruption of the world. You're like, what it says. That's an aorist tense verb, which means it happened in the past. You have escaped the corruption that is in the world through sinful desires. We have escaped the world. And we're living in the midst of it. And we have escaped it. Eris tense happened in the past. We have escaped. The Net Bible translates it as after escaping. Oh my. Now listen. Stay with me here. Screw on your thinking caps. We don't partake of the divine nature after we escape the corruption. We have escaped the corruption... So we can be partakers of the divine nature. Correlation does not equal causation. Okay? We have escaped so we can partake in the divine nature. You're like, well, I haven't escaped so I can't partake. And what Peter's saying is you have escaped so you can partake. That's important. That's very important. Eris tense after escaping. Listen. Listen. We don't have to wait to partake of the divine nature until we escape from the corruption. Since we have escaped the corruption, then we can partake of the divine nature. And this whole clause is so powerful. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Okay, so let's start with the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. So there is a corruption in the world. Corruption is moral decay. Sin eating up the world from the very inside. Sin eating us up from the very inside. It's the state of things. Once sin entered into the world through the fall, the world has been deteriorating, rotting, literally devolving. We're not evolving upward. We're devolving downward. And wicked men will go from bad to worse. Things aren't going to get better in the world. We are devolving It is corrupted. It is rotting. John says in 1 John 2 that the world is passing away. Well, listen. We're believers and we live in this world. But here, according to Peter, believers have escaped. Now, note that they have escaped the corruption that is in the world. The corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. These sinful desires are what propagate the corruption of the world We, as the church, as His people, have escaped that corruption. Listen, we have escaped those sinful desires. Now be careful. I'm not saying that we do not have sinful desires, nor is Peter. The Bible is very clear. There is remaining sin, and it lives in our flesh, and the spirit lusts against the flesh, and the flesh lusts against the spirit. He's not saying they're not there, those sinful desires aren't there. What he is saying, though, and hence so am I, is that we have a way to not follow these sinful desires. We have a way to break free from the black hole of sin that holds the whole world in its sway. We're all born as sinners. Every single person after Adam, except Jesus Christ have been born sinners. Everybody that will ever be born in the future will be born as a sinner. As such, we are totally depraved, meaning we have no possible way of making our situation any better in and of ourselves. The Bible is clear that we are born dead, dead in our sins and our trespasses. We may not be as bad as we can possibly be, but we are as bad off as we can possibly be. Listen, when we're born again, we get a new nature. And the very Holy Spirit of God Himself takes up residence in our lives. Now, with Him in, with Him with and for us, we have the power to look sin straight in the face and say, No. We have the power that we didn't have before we were born again to obey and worship God. Sinners can't obey and worship God. They can't do it. They're dead in their sins and trespasses. We have the power to obey and worship God as those born again. That's not arrogance. I wouldn't have it if He didn't give it to me. I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. I'm not better than anybody. But I do have a new nature by the grace of God. And as such, we have escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Sinful desire is overwhelmed by the power of the Holy Spirit. The constant pull of the gravity of sin is overpowered by the holiness of God within us. Do you know how much rocket fuel it takes to launch a rocket out of the atmosphere? It's a lot. Do you know how many metric tons of... I don't know, power, pressure, force, I don't know how it works. It's a lot. That's why. (laughs) And it looks like it's barely moving. It's trying to break free from the gravity. And without the power, the omnipotence of the Holy Spirit within us, we can't break the power of the gravity of sin. But with the power of the Holy Spirit, with the omnipotence of God within us, We got the power. Uh, 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 I have the power, he men said. Not the power of grace, goal. The power of the very Holy Spirit of God. The constant pull of the gravity of sin is overpowered then by the holiness of God within us. And so since we have a power source greater than sin, then we partake in the divine nature. We have an option since greater is He who is in you than he who is in the world. And since we have escaped the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desires, since we have been given His precious and very great promises, we may become partakers of the divine nature. And if we partake of the divine nature, we worship and obey God just as He has designed us to in this new life. And we're exhibiting the abundant life that is the birthright of the children of God. The overflowing, superabundant, too much to hold in, more life than we can handle life that is the eternal life that Jesus promised His followers. And who gets the glory for it all? He does. Because it's Him doing it. As it should be. How in the world do we apply all this in 10 minutes? Well, the answer is we don't do it in 10 minutes. Sorry, not sorry. Well, I think it's vital to our very Christian existence, our sanctification specifically. So we're going to look at application a little different today. We're actually just going to work back through the text and put those main points under a microscope and see how they affect us or really how they can and should affect us going forward. So at the risk of over-repetition, which I don't think is possible, I said, I'm going to read the passage again then I'm going to take it apart. Six clauses. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire." Now, we're going to look at this passage, like I said, in six clauses, the complete passage in six statements, just as they are, and then we're going to draw application from them. Hopefully, after deep diving into the passage through what we've seen already, we can take these steps through, seeing how each part of it helps bring it all together. So here's the complete passage. We're going to, I broke it into six clauses. They're, they done got it up there. Fantastical. Because mine's not working. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That's the first clause. Here's the simple truth of this clause. Listen, Christian, listen. You lack nothing that you need in order to live this life and to be godly in doing so. You lack nothing. You lack nothing that you need. 2 Corinthians 9, 8-11 And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. All sufficiency in all things at all times so that you may abound in every good work. You've got it. I didn't give it to you. Providence Bible Church didn't give it to you. America didn't give it to you. God Himself did. All things. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Listen, 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, which we use so often referring to the scripture, but mm, that's important. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be complete, perfect, equipped for every good work. That's what the Bible does for us. So that you might be complete. And equipped for every good work. Every good work. That the man of God may be complete. And the woman of God. Which is a good segue into the next clause. So His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Second, through the knowledge of Him. The all things that pertain to life and godliness are accessed, listen, through our knowledge of God. God. And let me ask it, how well do you know God? Not condemningly, because he wants us to know him. He wants us to understand him. Let he who boasts boasts in this, that he both knows and understands me, Jesus said, or God said, God said in Jeremiah. How well do you know God? Second part of that question is, what are you doing in order to know him better? Thomas Schreiner said this The church must not conclude that godliness comes from their own inherent abilities, since the gifts given to believers are rooted in the knowledge of Christ. Everything needed for eternal life is mediated through the knowledge of the Christ who calls believers to himself. That's a good quote. And again, it's not about knowing information about God or just accumulating biblical trivia. J.I. Packer says this in his classic Knowing God, which would be a good book to read, by the way. Packer says this, quote, To be preoccupied with getting theological knowledge as an end in itself, to approach Bible study with no higher a motive than a desire to know all the answers, is the direct route to a state of self-satisfied self-deception. End of quote. Packer then notes that the whole point of the Christian life is to know God. Quote again, Once you become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. John 17.3 said it earlier, And this is eternal life, Jesus says, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have. Sent. Philippians three, seven to eleven. and the power of His resurrection, and may share in His sufferings, that's in there too, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. How do you attain the resurrection of the dead? By knowing Jesus. And Paul said, I've lost everything so that I might know Him. And it's all crap, is what he says, compared to knowing Jesus. Through the knowledge of Him. Third one who called us to His own glory and excellence. Listen, it is God who has called. And like we saw, that means it is God who has demanded authoritatively. And it is God who determined what that calling is to. His call leads us to His own glory and excellence. He leads us to Himself. And this is His doing. I promise you were not saved because of your abilities or your standing in life. 1 Corinthians 1, 26-29 For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Amen. Not many were powerful. Amen. Not many were of noble birth. But... God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Don't you dare go into the presence of God and say, I figured it out.
0: I got it now, God.
1: No, no, no. 1 Peter 2, 9-10. to 10, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that, he, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, authoritatively demanded that you come out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you would not receive mercy, but now you have received mercy. And listen, that is by His doing. It is He that called you. Not vice versa. Point four. By which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises. Let me ask you this on this section. Do you know the promises of God? I think it would be a wonderful, lifelong exercise to note and gather all the promises of God in the Bible. And it would probably take you a lifetime to do that. Again, seven to 8,000 of them. And not all of them are directly to us. Some of them are to Israel. Some of them are to ethnic Israel. Some of them are to certain people at certain times. But they show us the character of God who is a promise maker and a promise keeper. And listen, knowing these promises makes them accessible to you in your life. You can trust God to fulfill them and keep them even in and through your life. I'll note just a few of them. I'm just going to spitball these things. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. I go to prepare a place for you. God is working all things together for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purposes. Another promise is, I'm coming soon. Another promise is Romans 10, 9 the word is near you in uh, starting in eight near you in your mouth and in your heart that's the word of faith that we proclaim because listen here's a promise if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved
0: Amen.
1: that's a promise that's a good one again some are conditional some are not some are time specific some are not but knowing what he has promised sets us up to rely on him and what He has said He would do in certain situations because He said He would do it. And He has always done it, and He will always do it. And that leads into the next clause because it's up to Him and His power. Point five, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Listen, church, it is the very life of God that enables us to please Him through worship and obedience. Colossians 1, 24-29. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Listen. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to His saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. And then he finishes that statement by saying, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And Paul said, For this I toil, struggling with all His energy, that He powerfully works within me. John 15.5, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Put that with Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Him
0: who strengthens me.
1: It's Him or it's nothing. But we got Him. Last point. Having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. Please listen to what I'm about to say. The power of sin has been broken. The power of sin is broken by these truths. I wish we had another couple of hours, we'd go into Romans 6. We're going to read some, but we're we're going to breeze through it. Obviously can't cover it all. Be a good homework for you. Go into Romans six and figure it out. But here's a sampling from it, giving us gospel power to strip sin of its power in our lives. Chapter six, verses five to fourteen. Almost done, y'all. For if we have been, you could say, since we have been united with Jesus in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have, since we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died to sin, He died to sin once for all, but the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider, you must reckon, that's an accounting term, you must reckon yourselves dead to sin. Write it in your ledger book every day, every moment. I'm dead to sin and I'm alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. If sin is reigning in your mortal body, it's because you're letting it. Don't let it. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Four for sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under law but under grace. And that means exactly what it says. And a lot more. There's so much more in Romans 6 and in the rest of the Bible that communicate this simple truth. Listen, look at me church. Look at me believer. Look at me, look at me. You don't have to sin. You have escaped the corruption of the world that is there because of sinful desires. It's done. It's finished. You died with Him. The power of sin died when you died with Him. And we recognize now that we only do it because we really want to. I'm not condemning you. You don't have to. You don't have to sin. You can choose to you don't have to. God's made a way. 1 Corinthians 10.13 No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. There's a promise. Here's another one. And He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You are never, ever, ever tempted beyond where God can help you escape that temptation. Never. He's faithful and he provides a way of escape. The more you know, the more you'll trust. And the more you trust, the more it will show in what you do. Last passage. So then what? Romans 12:1 to 2 I appeal to you therefore, brothers. I beg you. I appeal to you. I appeal to myself. By the mercies of God. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, which He has given you these great and precious promises in order to fulfill. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I beg you, read. Reread this passage that we've covered today. Meditate on it. Memorize it. And by the means of grace that God has given you, live it. We have a living hope in and through our omnipotent Savior. And all these but, 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 buts that's popping up in your head, let's just start by believing what God says is authoritative even over our experiences and emotions. He is faithful. He who called you is faithful. He will surely do it. You don't have to sin. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that there is nothing that we can add to the work that you have done. There's nothing that we have to add, there's nothing that we have to try to access through some secret means. You have done it all. And you will do it all in and through us, even now. So that we can look at sin and say, I don't want that. I want what God has for me more than I want that. So God, I'm trusting you to do in and through me what I can't do for myself. I treasure you above everything and everyone. And I believe that you are able to do it even in and through me. Thank you, God. That's all we got. We praise you and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll just stand and receive a benediction. Here's the benediction His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You're dismissed, but stay and eat with us if you can.